Rising Champions, a podcast about the mental side of sports, featuring inspirational interviews with young rising athletes about their quest to win their personal championships. Hosted by Dr. Jason Novetsky of Champion Mindset Group, alongside radio personality Kyle Bogey. Well, here we go. Episode 14 of the Rising Champions podcast. Kyle Bogey, Dr. Jason Novetsky, and uh, Doc, a little bit later today, we're going to be out on the golf course. Uh, any preview uh, about uh, how you think things are going to shake out out at Red Run? Yeah, I am looking forward to just taking it to both of you. Um, <laughs> I'm going to, you know, I'm going to bring the old man game. I'm going to try my best to be steady down the middle, which has not been my strength this summer. The driver has sometimes been in the penalty box uh, a couple times this summer. So it could be three wood off the five, off the par fives. We'll see how it goes. But yeah, that would be the smart. game is solid. The putting stroke has been good. So I'm looking good, uh, looking forward to a low number. You know what I love about Doc? He's a free swinger, no matter what's you know happening out there. He's just sticking to his swing, sticking to his routine, you know, even if it gets him in trouble. So yeah. uh, can't wait to get out there on the course. Well, uh, look, we have uh, an exciting interview that, you know, we obviously previously recorded just like we've been doing, um, you know, each episode here on the Rising Champions podcast. And it's a fun dynamic because we have father and son, a couple of tennis players. We have uh, Nick and Steve. I want to make sure I get this right. Herdoiza. Correct. And this is one where dad, obviously an accomplished tennis player played in college, played professionally a little bit as well. Is now a a tennis coach and you have son who is already, you know, a well-decorated tennis player as well. And is hoping to go on to college and professionally if injuries allow him to physically. So there is, I would say there is an intensity to, to this relationship and, and how they go about life and how they go about tennis. I found that fascinating. Yeah, they're a great couple of human beings and a great family because I've had the honor and privilege of of meeting uh, the whole family at this point. And Coach Steve is well-known in this community, a well-respected coach at Franklin Rec Club, and he coaches at one of our local high schools as well. And as you said, uh, a Big Ten collegiate player at Northwestern, played some pro tennis, and Nick is, is right along those lines. I mean, he's on his way to becoming a very similar tennis player. But, yeah, the intensity between them, the intensity of Nick on the tennis court, and the intensity of the conversation you're about to hear uh, is palpable. It really is. And, and, you know, this is something that I think happens in a lot of households, Um, you know, not just here in Michigan, but just, you know, across the world in sports, because you have, I mean, you know, I'm a new parent. I want my, you know, daughter to be involved in sports and I want to help. And, you know, eventually when she gets there, she's got to learn how to move first. She just kind of lays there right now. She's only (laughs) only three months old, but, you know, parents do have a tendency to want to coach their kids and want to help them out and get them to a certain level. And they have these expectations I got to believe that that that's something that, you know, you see uh, on a daily basis, that balance of coaching, helping, guiding, but, you know, also simply, you know, trying to, I, I think, be encouraging as opposed to being overbearing. Yeah, it's a, a very delicate balance. Uh, and I think these two have done a tremendous job of uh, finding that sweet spot where they can agree to disagree they have agreed to understand that they have very different perspectives sometimes. Uh, and it wasn't easy. And, and they'll be the first ones to tell you that it, it's definitely not easy. So I see that unfortunately go the wrong way 
oftentimes. Uh, we see it in a team basis. We see it in an individual basis. I see it a lot in golf where um, if it's not the right balance, you know, I have moms and dads that caddy for their kids in tournaments and that can be awesome. And it can also be a complete disaster uh, sometimes. So you have to make sure that uh, you're doing it for the right reasons, that you have the same goals in mind that you also have an understanding. That's something that Steve and Nick and I had talked about a lot when they made the transition for that to be the full-time situation that, hey, when you're out here on the court, your dad is your coach and, and that's that. And you have to have that agreement. And I did the same thing with my son because I coached him in travel baseball for a long, long time as a college player. And he, he went on to play college baseball as well. And we had an agreement that as soon as we step out of the car, we go to the park, you don't call me dad, I'm your coach. And it was tough, but that's what the agreement we had. And the first time I heard his voice and it said coach, and I had to take a double take, who's that? And it's okay, you're doing it right. Now, so for you, how difficult was that transitioning from, you know, you being father to son versus you being now coach to player, essentially, was that tough for you as well? It was because of course you want your son to play very well and you want him to be successful. and. Uh, unfortunately, if my son was on this podcast right now, he would also say that I was probably tougher on him than I was everybody else. <laughs> and he got no favoritism whatsoever. And, and that is a big issue. Uh, there's a concept out there called daddy ball and every baseball coach in his community knows what I'm talking about. Uh, but we made sure that we drew the line. And I think every coach that, it's a, that is a dad that coaches their son or daughter or mom that coaches their son or daughter uh, comes up with some boundaries about that. And I think that's the only healthy way you can do it. And you also have to have an understanding that at some point you have to cut the cord and you got to turn your kids over to somebody else uh, because there's only so far you can take your own kid. They need to hear the instruction, the criticism and the feedback and the positive reinforcement from other people besides their family. And I think that's what helps these kids really grow because if they don't and they do go up, go on to play college sports or pro sports, it's going to feel like they got punched in the face when somebody finally tells them like it is. Yeah. And that's got to be hard too. Once you get to middle school, high school, you know, mm -hmm. obviously college, you know, even to the next level, you're on your own, you know, as a parent, you got to step back and allow that coach, you know, for the most part to, to do their thing. So uh, a, a really good conversation here. Don't want to, you know, spend any more time here, but uh, let's just get right into it. We got uh, Steve and Nick or uh, a couple of tennis players, father and son. They're going to uh, battle here a little bit uh, in our interview <laughs> on the rising champions podcast. Well, really excited to have uh, a couple of guests here on now the what 14th episode of the rising champions podcast. Uh, wonderful interview here and uh we're gonna have father and son we're gonna have nick and steve Erdoiza. i think i said it right i got it all right so we're off to a start here okay so uh, now doc i know you have a lot that uh you want to jump in on but i think we should start with a very serious question and we'll let you guys answer this okay you know together one can go first whatever it may be Who's the better tennis player? Go ahead. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, we're definitely not going to make it to this podcast now. You have to, you have to go there, right? <laughs> uh, I mean, both of us have two different perspectives, obviously, on this. But uh, I, I would claim at, at this point, with age being a big factor um, when healthy, uh, I would claim that I'm the better tennis player. But I know he thinks he has uh, things differently, so – well, of course, you got two stubborn individuals here, and uh, I'll never bet against myself. So even at my, uh, you know, enhanced age here, um, I'll still I'll still stick with me. 
Love it. Love it. I do love that. <laughs> I love that competitiveness too. That's awesome. So let's go back to the beginning a little bit. You know, Nick, you are how old now? 15. 15. And you're going into what year in high school? Sophomore. Sophomore and you're at Wild Lake Northern, correct? Central. Wild Lake Central. Central. I'm sorry. Wild Lake Central. And um, talk to me a little bit about your memory of the first couple times you came to see me back when you were 12 years old and the reasons why we got started. You know, I just remember coming back, um, to be honest, really immature. Um, and I first started coming to see you because I think 12 was the year maybe I started dealing um, with maybe a little bit injuries and a little bit maybe mental issues on the court. And I started becoming more vocal, um, started like just talking really negatively. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, my dad, none of us could figure out a solution on how to fix those issues. And so nothing ever got better. And so it just kind of kept going on and on and on and probably actually worsened. Um, and so that's when we figured, you know, we need to come in and, you know, talk to you because, you know, the negativity sure wasn't helping my results. If anything, my results were becoming worse. Um, and so we came in and I just remember the first couple times, uh, it it maybe been like a little bit difficult for me because I didn't want to change, you know, change is not something I think that's easy for many people. Um, especially when maybe it had become a little bit habitual for me of just to be talking and talking and not wanting to be positive because to be positive is difficult. It takes effort. It takes an awareness, whereas it's easy to be negative. Mm -hmm. I think, and that's, that's the easy way out of it. Um, and so I just, yeah, it it was difficult for me and it, it took a lot of awareness when I was on the court and I had to pay a lot of attention, uh, when I first started in order to make any improvements mentally. Yeah. And, and Steve, what are your, what are your memories of that? Because I know you and I talked a lot and, you know, you and I sat across from Nick in the office. And I remember one of the first things I said to Nick was pay attention to your facial expressions when we're talking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just um, feel like for, for Nick, it was so great because you offered kind of a tangible approach to, kind of dealing with those tough issues and they're tough issues for everybody, but you, you kind of, and I just remember it all being about, and this is what I liked about it so much about the process, you know, getting your mind focused more on the process of what you're doing out there versus the result. And I think it's really difficult for most people to do. Um, But I think that through a lot of sessions with you and through his hard work on his own, just Mm -hmm. because he does all that, you know, all the the grids and everything you have him do, I think he's very conscientious about it. But just that and and probably just naturally through maturing, he's gotten just so much better at this stuff where, you know, I mean, as I I remember cringing watching some of those matches, my wife about, you know, you could just see it. And Nick would, the, the, the problem that I think somewhat he had as well back then he had a unique ability to be somewhat negative and still play fairly well. Mm. But I always felt like it was just a matter of time before that catches up to you. So, and, and I think he ultimately realized that as well. And I think that he's done a really nice job and we've talked a lot recently. You don't necessarily even have to be about positive, but you got to try to be neutral. Right. He's done a very good job with, with your help of kind of getting to that, uh, to that point now. So, Nick, it's easy to talk about it, but then once you actually get out there into a match and 
you get a bad where the ball hits the line, you know, whatever, something bad happens and you do have to have that, you know, you have to resist. You actually have to practice what you've been working on. How difficult was that having to resist in those moments? Yeah, that, and I knew that that was something that was going to take time. It wasn't something that you're just going to snap your fingers and it's going to happen. Um, And that's what I was talking about um, before was that it takes a, a lot of awareness you have to be really aware and really conscious of when you do say something. So for example, I just remember I would say something, but even though I would say something like this time around, I'd be aware of it and be like, okay, I just, you know, said whatever, or I was negative there. Like when that happens next time, I have to be more aware and be better and maybe hold that in and maybe say something positive and kind of push that aside and kind of flush it and go back and get back to thinking about the things that I need to do to win the next point. And yeah, so that it, once again, that goes to like the process of it because it's difficult because if you don't think about it, it just, it'll spiral and it'll just keep going down and down and down. Yeah, I would agree with that. Steve, I'm curious, you know, cause you've, you've coached a long time. Um, you're, you're a high school coach. You're, you're a private coach at, at a club. You played professionally. You played in college. What, what is your perspective on that mental state of being negative versus neutral or positive uh, when you played and now what you're seeing in today's kids as well? Yeah, I think, I think it's really an underworked on part of, your game. And um, I know that we've had discussions about it. Like you got to treat it like your forehand or your off court. It's just another aspect of your game that you really need to take control of. Uh, and I think it's huge. You just, you see a lot of kids out there now that have a tremendous amount of ability, but frankly, they really don't know how to put it together in a match because they don't know how to control their thoughts, their emotions. And it's, 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 a, it's a long, arduous process. And I think it's important that everybody really delve into it uh, because I don't think you're gonna get to your best, whatever your best is, unless you really tackle this part of your game. Mm-hmm. So important, that's a great answer, yeah. The, uh, the father-son dynamic, uh, I got to believe, is very interesting for you guys. And I- I'm going to take some notes here on how you handle it because I, I have a three-month-old daughter at home and I well, want I her to be – I'm not sure you want to do that. <laughs> I-, I want her to be an unbelievable golfer, okay? So I want to make sure I do this right. But w- how difficult was it, I guess, we, we can start with you, Dad, uh, you know, in obviously – trying to teach him and show him the game, but you don't want to overdo it. You want to teach, but you also want him to just kind of love it on his own. What was that like early on? I think it's, I think it is difficult. Um, and I know Dr. Novetsky would, would agree to this. There's many times he's been a referee between the two of us. Right. So, um, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's, you know, my, my, uh, hope has always been with him. Just let's, let's work on just trying to become the best we can become and, and w- whatever that takes, you know, trying to make those uh, incremental improvements. That's the goal. Uh, but inevitably I think when, um, you know, I have a certain way of doing things and they don't always mesh with his way of doing things or his thinking um, that's been the challenge I think of it all is just to, find a way where we both can kind of get our points across and not uh, become uh, too adversarial in doing that. And it's still an ongoing, I think we've gotten a lot better at it actually. Um, I think I understand him better. And so I kind of know maybe when to push a little bit and when not to push, because I think that's really kind of the key to it. But But I also think from, and I'll let him speak on this in a minute. I think a message that comes from me 
as innocuous as it might seem coming from me, be much easier than, than kind of when it comes from me. And that's been really the challenge, I think, is to figure out, and Dr. Novesky's helped us um, tremendously in that point. He's helped me in trying to frame, uh, you know, conversations better so that they're not maybe so critical and attacking, or he feels they're so critical and attacking on his end. Yeah, Nick, I'm curious on your perspective on that too. I mean, I to feed off what my dad said, like, yeah, just about like most of the time we have two, two different perspectives, like very different perspectives. Um, and I know that we both have the same goal, but a lot of times we just have different ways of getting there. Uh, and I think that's where then, you know, we tend to, uh, butt heads. yeah, butt heads. Um, <laughs> because we're both really stubborn people. Um, and we, I don't think like to see each other's perspectives, but that's where we've gotten better is we've opened up, I think a little bit Mm -hmm. to, you know, maybe see each other's ways of how we're doing it. And we talk about it. Whereas it used to be just kind of like things just blew up. Like, Oh, you don't want to do it my way. Yeah. I don't, you don't, you know? And so then it just got worse and worse and worse. Um, and then once again, like, because he is my dad, sometimes I feel like he's just being too hard on me. And I've been aware that at times I can be too sensitive to that. Um, and so I think I have gotten better at that, but there's still times where I do feel like he's attacking me. Um, but once again, we do have the same end result. Um, but that aspect of it just can be difficult at times because of the situation. But we've right. gotten a lot better from where we started. Okay. <laughs> and Nick, I know you've also dealt with a lot of injuries too recently, you know, nothing too terrible, but just some nagging things. So I'm curious on how have you used some of your mental training uh, to deal with the injuries? We had actually um, two weeks ago, I just sprained my foot or a week ago, I just sprained my right foot. Um, So yeah, especially this summer, um, because I remember back in two years ago, maybe I had a lot of injuries too with growing pains and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And that first go around with injuries, I don't think, um, I handled too well because I, I was young. I just kind of wanted the results. You know, I wanted things to happen and I didn't want to be um, stuck dealing with injuries. But now that it's happened the second time, you know, you really just have to focus, I guess, on yourself and not look at others and see like, oh, they're doing all this and I'm stuck here at home. I can't do anything. And that can be frustrating. And of course it's going to be frustrating, but you know, that that's a part of it. And I just, I, I do my best not to look at it that way uh, and just focus on, you know, how can I be better the next day? You know, because I can't control what other people are doing. I can just control, you know, how I'm reacting to that. And that's, I know one big thing that we've talked about sure. is only controlling what you can control. And that's something that's, I've come a long way with that. Um, because I really just focus on myself. And because of that, I don't get very frustrated with it. And I understand that it's a process that's gonna take time. And so just every day it's understanding how can I be better and how can I improve? Um, Because I can't compare myself to others. Yeah, I think that's a great perspective to take. And and comparison is a big issue that, you know, comes up a lot in my practice with athletes comparing themselves to other athletes. And my job is always to move them, like you said, to focus on comparing themselves to themselves. And and just trying, like you said, coach, just trying to be better 
than you were yesterday. And that's the only comparison that you have a chance at winning at any time. Because anytime you're comparing yourself to another athlete or another person, you're always going to find something else that they do better than you. So that's a losing game when you keep doing that. So I think it's a great lesson for all our listeners and athletes is to, you know, just focus on you and becoming a better athlete and a better person, more importantly, every day. And from that growth, you're going to be a lot happier and, and honestly, a lot more successful in my opinion. If I could just jump in just sure. for a second about the injury, because I, I, I'd say I, he's done it, it. He could not have done a better job with these injuries. They've been extremely frustrating. It's been four and a half, five months of very minimal on-court play. Mm-hmm. And at times really not being able to do anything at home either. But when he has had the chance, he's worked out. He's watching like tennis when he can. He's doing shadow swings. He's doing what he can. So I completely concur with what he said. He's made the most of every day of what he can do. And as a result, when he did get back on the court, surprisingly, I think he was playing at a very good level, which you wouldn't think because he's taken all this time off. But um, I think he's done really the right things and not allowed the situation to knock him down. That's a great response to that. Just uh, judging by the intensity, the way you guys, you know, talk about your relationship, the way you talk about the game, the approach, all of that, I'm getting the sense that you guys uh, are both aggressive players on the court. Is that a fair assessment? Um, I would say that I'm more aggressive (laughs) than he is. Yeah. uh, Yeah. He's, he's, um, Nick, Nick, Nick can be aggressive, but he's like, he's like, I, 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 uh, uh, analogize him to like a gnat yes. where, you know, he's like, it's very difficult to get a ball by him. He's super fast, covers the court exceptionally well, uh-huh. fantastic defense. Um, and he's frustrating in that way because he's, he, he just, another ball just keeps coming back. And then when he does get opportunities, he does play aggressively, but I don't think he necessarily looks for first strike tennis. Whereas I look for first strike tennis. That's how I kind of grew up playing. Um, so I think there's a little bit of a difference in our games in that way. And playing in playing that way, first strike tennis can get you in some trouble over time, can it? Well, it can if you're if you're making errors off of first strike tennis. But um, I think I would classify myself as kind of a, a, a cal- like a, a high percentage first strike. So I don't <laughs> think I'm taking unnecessary risks. But I think I'm I'm I'm, I'm very kind of confident in the risks I'm taking. If that makes sense. Yeah, of course. Nick, what's your I, perspective I see, yeah, on I see, that? Yeah. I see Nick laughing right there. <laughs> I mean, I, I really haven't seen my dad play, um, like, actually full out. But, I mean, yeah, I think I think there's a line between playing too risky and playing aggressively but smart. Um, and I think once you reach a certain level, I don't think you can probably be super risky and sustain that. Um, so I think anyone at like a high enough level is aggressive, but they all play with percentages that way they can maintain what they're doing, matching and match out. Yeah. Nick, I want to change subjects a little bit and get back to what you are doing off the court mentally to prepare you and I develop what we call mental workouts. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it'd be great for some of the younger players that might tune in to hear about, you know, a highly ranked local tennis player is is doing off the court in addition to on the court. I think it'd be great if you could detail the kind of work you're doing mentally. You know, every day um, I wake up and I do a meditation straight to kind of get my mind right um, and just start off the day feeling good. 
Um, and then right after that, uh, maybe once or twice a day, but usually right after the meditation, sometimes at night, uh, I do visualization. I visualize, especially if I practice how I want to play. Um, and I always tell myself that like, I'm going to play well, you know, because I, I believe that if you say you're going to play well, that you're going to do everything in your power to make yourself believe that you're going to play well. Um, mm -hmm. and then I know that we created, and I've had it for a while as a vision board. Mm -hmm. uh, and I always look at my vision board. I always look at my goals every single morning, um, just to remind myself and to keep myself up. And then after that at night, um, or if I don't feel good during the day, uh, I do uh, one of those mental grids. Concentration uh, grids. Concentration yep. grids. To get my focus. If I feel like I'm not focusing very well, I'll do that in the middle of the day. And then at night, I'll do them. And that's kind of what I go through every single day are, are those things to make sure. That really, I do them in the morning to start off my day right. Yeah. And I think that's so important for other people to hear that, you know, it's what's going on behind the scenes that I think is having the big, one of the bigger impacts. Obviously, Nick and, and you know, and Coach, you work guys very hard on and off the court, um, getting the body ready. I know we talk a lot about nutrition, um, stretching and things like that and proper warm-ups, but the mental work that no one sees, I think is critical to every athlete's success. And I think you're a testament to that with your growth over time. Mm -hmm. Along those lines, I guess, uh, you know, Steve, how, how much has the game and the approach to it changed? You know, you coming from a different generation to what, what it is now and, and how, I guess, how different it is for athletes these days. Yeah, I think there's a huge difference um, because the game is such, so much more dynamic these days with the evolution of the technology of the rackets. Um, you know, the training is just so much better now. It's more physical. It's more athletic. So just the game itself is just a, it's a better, faster, stronger game. I would say, in my opinion, that the one thing that hasn't maybe kept pace has been the mental side of things. I think that has weakened, um, unfortunately, certainly here, I think, in the United States. Um, and that's why it's such a, an important part for me because I always felt like that was probably the strongest part of my game was my mental approach, my competitiveness. I always felt that nobody was going to outcompete me on the court. I might lose, but, you know, I was going to fight for every point. I was going to find a way to just hang in there. Um, and I don't think that the kids today value that in general as much. So, yeah, they can hit a great ball um, and they're athletic, but a lot of times they don't know how to win a match or how to stay in a match when things aren't going well. It's amazing. Yeah, interesting. Oh. Your goals. Um, what are some of those goals and what are some of the plans you have moving forward? Uh, I mean, for me, taking it a step at a time, um, would, would to, go be, to go win some nationals, um, and then obviously play at uh, a very good college um, and maybe compete for uh, whatever it is, a championship. or And then from there to, to go pro and with no injuries to get as high as I can um, with that. And that would, those would be, you know, some of my top goals. Okay. I awesome. love it. I yeah. love that, that plan. Well, guys, uh, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, you know, it was a great conversation. I feel like you both are going to leave here and go find a court with some lights and uh, hash it out. 
uh, to see who the better player is. I but, think uh, that would happen if he wasn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He still might want to go. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> no, now's the time. Take advantage of him, right? <laughs> <laughs> all, right well. all I know is I'm getting worse every year and he's getting better. So <laughs> that's okay, right? Well, guys, <laughs> well, we really should be. We really appreciate you guys coming on. That was a fun conversation, and I think it's going to be, you know, very informative for our the rising athletes out there in our community and, and beyond. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you, and Dr. Yeah. Novetsky, thank you for, uh, you know, I've really um, just feel strongly at, at, at just how powerful uh, your message is and how, how you're able to help these athletes, which I think is just critical. So appreciate everything you do. Thank you very much. I appreciate that a lot. Awesome. Well okay. said. Thanks, guys. Good luck moving forward. Thanks. Thank Take you. care. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Rising Champions podcast. Please subscribe and join us again next week for another episode.